share to a few more platforms, to a few more friends, and then we'll. Okay. All right. I think we're uh, all ready to go. Yep. All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Afrobeat Live. My name is Michael Obadozier, the voice. I want to say a big thank you uh, to everyone who is joining us for day one of this three-part conversation on uniting against police brutality and racism in America. Our theme for tonight is white voices in the midst of racial tension. Um, as we all know, over the past three years, the age-long problem of institutionalized violence, police brutality, and racism in America has been emboldened. Um, and as you know, Afrobeat Live caters to a demographic that is mainly African or Caribbean. And it seems as if we complain and we're in agony in our silos and have our different perspectives about things. And tonight, we have two friends uh, going to be joining us tonight, and they're going to be telling us how they feel about what's going on. We're going to be asking some critical questions to get their responses, to understand how people who might not exactly be in our, in our communities feel about what is going on. I want to remind you all one more time to please hit that share button so people can join in this critical conversation. I am not here tonight by myself. I am here with one of the members of the family, um, strategy and change professional, Mr. Carl Omatsala. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, gentlemen, Tom and, uh, and Matt. Thanks for joining us today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we, we've had you know, discussions about this over the past one week, um, actually over the past couple of years. And um, it'd be great to have a good discussion today about how we can help to bridge the gap, to bridge the gap and start to solve some of the challenges that are endemic in, in this great country called America, uh, which I still consider to be the best country in the world and, and uh, an ideal place to live out your dreams and, and with happiness, and the pursuit of happiness. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to a good discussion about how we can really bridge the gap and move forward um, uh, in the society as a whole. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So I'm just going to take some time right now to introduce my two friends in the house tonight. Um, I served with these two gentlemen in the Army. Uh, we both deployed at separate times. Um, I'm first going to introduce a man who is, uh, my wife thinks, is very, very handsome. His name is Mr. Thomas Denning. He's an educator, and he is actually a principal, an elementary school pr principal in the state of New Jersey. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great, Obi. How are you doing? Awesome, awesome. And you guys are going to hear him call me Obi, and he's allowed to do so <laughs> because in the Army, we're called by our last names, Obadozier, so everybody shortened my name to Obi. But for the rest of you, you can call me Michael, okay? And then my family members will call me Emeka. How are the kids doing, Tom? My kids are great, man. I have uh, my daughter's nine and my son is 12, so time moves by, moves by real fast, man. For some of us, we can get away from kids when we leave home but you leave your kids at home and go meet the kids at school yeah <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome so the next person i'd like to introduce is another one of my friends um his name is matt durante i call him i call him my boo that's what we used to call ourselves yeah, boo -boo. messing around <laughs> hey, <what's> up, boo -boo? <laughs> and um he's awesome he's a uh coo a chief operating officer of a technology company in richmond virginia um, introducing you all to Matt Durante. 
Happy to be here, Michael. So happy that you uh, asked me for this uh, challenging conversation, quite frankly. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So we're going to go right into it, but I just want to remind everyone again, please hit the share button so that people can participate in this conversation. Remember to put your questions in the chat box. Um, so th the first question I want to ask, and this is to um, Tom and, and Tom first and then Matt second. Um, when you saw the video of of Floyd, and and just to give uh, just to give a little recap, so since March there have been about four incidents that have culminated into the protests and the riots that we see today. Obviously, there have been so many more for years and years and years, but right now it's as if it's just it's just crazy right now. So when you look at what's going on, if you watch the video of George Floyd with the officer's neck, uh, knee on his neck. What were your thoughts? What did you feel? Man, there, there were so many thoughts going through my head at that time. Um, for him, obviously, just sympathy for, for even being in that position. I mean, you know, having the military background, you know, we've, we've been in situations where, you know, we are trained on use of force, you know, rules of engagement, you know, de-escalating situations. Um, and, you know, from, from the law enforcement side, it, I mean, it was, it was so clear that, that the situation was de-escalated and to see it continue and continue, you know, you, you're just, you're waiting for the guy to get up. Like, what, what are you doing? And you have, you have your people right there. You know, and then when you start hearing um, the bystanders, you know, asking to help, you know, hey, he's fine. He, you know, he needs he needs to breathe. He's saying he can't breathe. Let me just check him out. You know, uh, just from the bystander the bystander perspective, like, you know, you feel almost helplessness. You know, you're helpless watching it. That the bystanders who are a few feet away, they were helpless. You know, even though you know your 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 initial reaction is you probably just want to charge the guy and get him off. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody across the country looking back would love for somebody to do that. Um, you know, and and we all wish that happened, but um, really just disbelief, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Just disbelief. Okay. I know. Um, uh, Matt, what what did you think when you saw the when you saw Officer Derek? Chauvin on with his knee on the neck of George Floyd. There's outrage. Uh, there's, like Tom was saying, that was a subdued situation. Uh, and the job of a police officer is to protect, uh, serve and protect, uh, to include those in his custody. Now, yeah. it doesn't even matter what the police officer allegedly thinks that the the man did. The point is, is that now we were prepped with the question, how did you feel watching the killing of George Floyd? But I think that that's mincing words. He was murdered. By the point he was subdued and that knee was on his neck, he was murdered. He was held down for nine plus minutes in, a, in an obvious choke position. And that, that officer failed to, up to uphold his duties. He, and there's no world where that's even good policing. There's no manual that you're going to find that in. Uh, yeah. it, it's outright murder. And uh, that's, that's directly, bluntly how I feel about that. 
and uh, it's terrible. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, so Carl, um, what do you have to add, what do you have to add to this? I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I mean, I I was watching it, and it was still, you know, this is not real. This is kind of, you know, this this the movies or something. This I I, it, I, I was still confused. I was still thinking to myself, okay. You know, get off this guy. Okay, okay, you've, he's down. Okay, maybe they'll frisk him. Maybe they'll put his hand up. Maybe they'll arrest him. Okay, you know, get him off. And he's he's calling for his mother, man. He's calling for his mother. And somebody was saying that maybe he saw her as he was passing into the afterlife. Maybe he saw his mother who had died previously, in the, you know, as as a glimpse. But it's just unbelievable. I just unbelievable. And, and this is not. And this is this is America, right? This is. You know, where, I mean, I remember coming here, our hope was always going to be, you know, no matter what happens, you have a fair shot, you, there's just, justice, you know, the, the law is there to protect and serve, even though there are some bad apples, overwhelmingly there are people who are good, right? But then I realized something, you know, the past couple of days is this is not about white or about black or about even police officers or, or the community. This is about good and evil, frankly. It's about good and evil. And... Clearly, this guy was evil for some reason, um, because it just doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Uh, yeah. But even even for an animal, you don't even treat an animal that way. You can't talk about a human being. So that was my thought, man, on, on that. Yeah, I was I was um, I, I was personally in total shock uh, to the point that even till now I'm shaking. Like my my, my you can't see, but my lower extremity is shaking for some yeah. some reason. It's just it was one of the most painful things that I've ever seen in my life. You just um, do not, you just do not treat a human being that way. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that there's a, over the past few years, we've heard talk about black lives, black, black lives matter. And some people find the term offensive. Um, so I want to ask you, Tom, starting with Tom, I just want to find out from you. When you hear Black Lives Matter, what comes to your mind? What, 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 what do you think about it? For me, obviously, you know, there's no doubt in my mind Black Lives Matter, but then you, you kind of ask the question in your head, well, why, why does that even have to be pronounced? You know, why do we need to even take that into consideration? You know, that this, we're talking about human lives, you know, and, and, and then it makes you dig deeper. Well, why do you think somebody that is African American is gonna is gonna feel like they need to stand behind a comment like that or a, a cause like that? And um, you know, I have a lot of conversations with some of my African American friends. Uh, you know, one of my best friends, another military buddy, he's older than me, uh, George Lindsay. I mean, you know, that's that's my brother. Uh, yeah. You know, he would have died for me. I would have died for him. No questions asked. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me that 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 even has to be discussed nowadays. You know, it, again, it, it's more of a, I don't know if it's because of the relationships I've formed over the years with people of other races that it, it's not it's not on my radar, you know, yeah. uh, it shouldn't even be a question is, is how I perceive it, you know? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, so Matt, for you, um, when you hear black lives matter, because a lot of people had a problem with it, they were like, Oh, all lives matter. This life matters. Um, what do you think 
when people say, cry out and say Black Lives Matter? I think that it's endemic that there's still a major issue. I think that people use this as a defense mechanism for themselves to say, well, all lives matter. Well, of course all lives matter. There's a, a I'll, I'll paraphrase, uh, and hate to bring comedy into this, but some comedian just recently said, yeah, it's like uh, my house matters. Yeah. And then there, and then he goes, it's not that all houses don't matter. It's that my house is on fire right now. Yeah. My house matters. So Black Lives Matter. That house is on fire. And we need to support that. It's not that all lives don't matter. Of course, all lives matter. But we need to uh, spot a major endemic issue that continues to pervade through our society and recognize it for what it is. It's not that all lives don't matter. Of course they do. But Black Lives Matter is, is, is an in-our-face message that this is a problem that still needs solving. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. I totally agree. And as you said about the house, I was just thinking to myself, you have four kids, but one day one kid is really sick and has a temperature of 106. Yes, you love all your kids. Yes, all your kids matter. But at this point, this is the kid that needs attention. This is the exactly. kid that needs to go to the hospital. This is the right. kid that needs to be taken care of. And I think it's a problem with leadership not being able to see all of us as one. The people who supposedly make the laws and supposed to lead us not seeing this problem. Carl? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I look at things, and you might kind of have many discussions around, um, I, look, look, I look at history, I look at things from a, from a global perspective, and I think about um, empires such as Rome, right? Rome was at one time one of the, probably the most powerful empire in human history. And nobody could conquer Rome. Nobody external could, could conquer Rome. The Germans tried it, the, the Goths tried it. But ultimately what made Rome collapse was the corruption and the mismanagement that was endemic within the society itself to the point where it fell apart because of its corruption within. That's my worry for the U.S. at this point in time, that no one, not the Russians, not Chinese, not the, not the Iranians can, can conquer this country. But if we continue down this path, it is not sustainable as a society. Right. And ultimately, if we continue down this path of division and, 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 and fighting and, and racism and discrimination amongst ourselves, ultimately, it results in the, the destruction of society. That's ultimately what's going to end up happening. I mean, I, I, always, make, you know, I always talk about um, to my friends that, you know, I, I came from Nigeria where I grew up, you know, under the Abacha and the Babangida years where we were in the society as kids and growing up, we knew what it was like to be under a society that basically was a struggling society where there was division, there was tribalism, there was uh, mismanagement, there was corruption. We knew what the results are, they're still there to today. We see it, right? Devolution of the society to the point where there's lack of growth. If we're not careful and we think this only affects black people or white people, Asian people, we're gonna get to that point. And that's my real worry is that what are we gonna leave for our kids going in the future? And we're only as weak as our weak, as strong as our weakest thing. So to me, that, that's the worry. And in terms of the Black Lives Matter, of course Black Lives Matter. It's, 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 and I like the analogy of the burning house, right? We all live in the row house or townhouses, but there's one on fire. If you don't take care of that one that's on fire within the townhouse structure, everybody's going to catch fire, which that's is right. what's happening now. Right? Hey, I, live in, I, live, I live in a townhouse, you know, with four townhouses. If there's a fire, and don't take care of my townhouse, guess what? The next door neighbor, his house is going to catch fire. Yeah, so I think the emphasis is on exactly. right now. This is the issue. 
I think Tom hey, wanted to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to draw another analogy. I mean, from, from my perspective as, as a principal um, at a public school, we don't have a choice. We have to accept every student that comes to our building. And if you have um, a student that is struggling or a student that is acting out, um, I, clearly it causes frustrations um, for some of the staff members or teachers or whatever. But at the end of the day, you, you have those conversations about it, it doesn't matter where people come from. They are here and this is what you have to figure out. You have to find a solution to what is causing the problem. You know, if a student is three grade levels behind, you're it. You're, you got tagged in. And, and it doesn't matter where that problem came from, if it was because they came from a low socioeconomic family, if, um, you know, their, their teacher last year was out on maternity leave and, you know, they got poor instruction. None of that stuff matters. You know, this is the, this is the hand you're dealt with and you have to come up with a solution to the problem. You know, and, and those are, that's real world, you know, um, you don't get to pick and choose who your neighbor is all the time or who you have to work with or, you know, whatever you, you can, you can fill in the blank on whatever you, you don't get to pick. You have to find a way to exist and, and treat people like they matter. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Go ahead, Carl. No, I think I think Tom raised a great great point. I think, but the only caveat to that, Tom, is I think that's the way you think, right? That's that's the expectation you've placed on yourself, mm -hmm. as in you have a responsibility because of the people you're you're in care of or charged with to make sure that they perform to the best ability, no matter what the, how they come in. Not everyone has a mindset, and, and unfortunately, it just seems as if we we hear. So I'll give you an example re recently. So you know, one of my kids has has autism. Right. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he uh, went out the door. I was in a meeting. He went out the door, working at home and walked about two miles off. Right. To the donut store right? because he likes donuts. And so we realized he was missing. And then we ran out the door and we couldn't, we couldn't find him. The police officer found him. Right. Went to every single door, every door of the neighborhood looking for the parent of that child, right? The police officer was white, right? At that point in time, did, I, did, did she care that he was a black kid or I, no. Doing the duty to protect and serve. That's what's expected, right? This gentleman who killed this guy, clearly, whether he was black or white, it's a, it, to me, it was pure evil. Yeah. And, and it's an issue that I think as a society, we have to figure out how do we get to a point where we have someone who's charged with protecting and serving, and they are able to do that, regardless of what color they are. That's the issue. And I, and I really want us to make sure that we don't get into this, you know, black and white. It's an issue of good and evil that we have to resolve. Yeah. In my, in my How do you uphold good police work? That's, that's, a, that's a difficult question. I mean, certainly uh, racial bias and prejudice is a part of that, but as you said, you know, one drop of poison in the bucket poisons the water. Right. Um, right. But how do we hold accountable? Because even in so many uh, incidences where there is one bad egg, 
it seems to be that they can continually get away with it because they're in a protected community. They seem to take care of themselves. Uh, yeah. I don't want to jump too too far ahead. I don't know, but I we need to bring back some some communities do this, but civilian review boards of policing uh, outside of the union that represents them themselves. Right. Uh, there have to be actions. There has to be more emphasis on the continuing education of these police officers. How can, especially with, let's use George Floyd's uh, killer as an example. It comes out after the fact, of course, that he's been flagged countless times for poor behavior, judgment, whatever you want to call it, crimes, and continually got away with it. That's, That's unacceptable for any police force. Totally. Hey, totally. one more, one more thing, Obi. Yeah. Hey, Carl, I, listen, I totally agree with you guys. Um, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to leadership. I, I mean, it is a leadership issue because no matter whether, if you're in charge of 20 people, okay, you cannot watch those 20 people every second of the day. You have to train them and instill in them the values that you feel are necessary to perform their duties and you have to trust them that they're going to um, learn the ethics that you are teaching. And unless that that is taught from the leadership position on down, you will continue to have bad apples no matter what organization you're in. And if there isn't a good structure in place to, to kind of see those levels, you know, it, it, you're just not going, you're not going to push them out if, if you're not focusing on that. Yeah, totally. I'm going to take a few comments uh, from our Facebook. Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again. Um, uh, thank you for joining us. She says, looking forward to this discussion. Um, I also have a comment here uh, from Jada. Uh, Jada says, it was painful, disgusting, and a sense of helplessness to watch the murder in broad daylight on on an American street in 2020. Um, we have a comment here from Kilechi. Kilechi says, I am not sure if there are any questions being taken here or where would we submit where would I submit them? Um, you can submit your questions right here, Kilechi. Just type them in and we'll see your questions. Um, lovely uh, book says a question for principal education of real American history. That's a question for you. So we're going to come to that about educating our kids about real American history. Um, Kilechi says, um, I do not think anyone is throwing a blanket and saying all cops are bad. However, it is overwhelmingly lopsided when we review unjust killings without a single iota of accountability. Um, All right. Um, And we have a comment here from Loveland. She says, a great discussion. Let's rise up. That's my mother-in-law, if you don't know. She's a, she's a, she's a cool mama. Uh, let's rise up and keep talking. Um, where'd that come and go to? Let's rise up and keep talking about this wicked act of abuse of fellow human, humans when people would not even beat their dogs. Okay, so let's go back to that question. We just found one question. The question is talking about education, American history. So we're going to answer that question, but I was about to talk about this right, right before I saw that question. Um, so I'd like you to answer both of them. Um, and I want to go to the beginning in a way, slavery. 
right? What do what is it like growing up in a home where you have you're white you have white parents? What is the conversation about about what America is? Does it just start from our wars and how powerful and great we are, or does it talk about slavery and what happened before we we got to this point? And then you can go ahead and talk about American history in schools, about the entire history, not just a portion. Of you want me to go first? Yes, yes. Um, personally, you know, I, coming from a white family, um, you know, you, you obviously get your, your parents' perspective on things. Um, my folks were both from um, North Jersey, Jersey City. Uh, my dad, my mom, North Bergen, which, you know, is an urban area. But, um, you know, they, they, they were grown up on work ethic. You know, that's what they were taught, and that was what they instilled. Um, we didn't really grow up in a diverse area. Uh, my folks moved further and further away from, from where they were born. So I, I wasn't in an extremely diverse area. Uh, so there weren't a lot of conversations about race to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, if, again, it was more, more just acceptance. Um, you know, and, and, and again, my, my dad was an educator too. So uh, you know, I always kind of followed in his footsteps about, you know, acceptance and things like that. When it comes to teaching history in school, I, I, I don't purport to be uh, a history major. I was more of a math guy. Um, but obviously, I do see what is taught in, in, in history classes. Uh, I was at the middle school level. Uh, a lot of things have shifted in education to where um, we're trying to look at more civics. So, for example, uh, eighth grade, it, it, there's a huge unit on civics where uh, some of our teachers put together projects that are student-driven, student-led um, to, to promote a cause. And uh, for one example, um, a girl was, I want to say she was adopted um, from, uh, you know, I, I want to say it was Asia. I don't remember exactly where. Um, but one of the one of the foundations that helped her get adopted uh, was very important to her. So the entire class took on that took on that goal, and they literally spent probably over a marking period planning it and raised close to ten thousand dollars. You know, just coming together, promoting, um, and working together, and that's and that's not you know reading and memorizing stats, dates, you know, things like that, you know, that's, that's what education is trying to do right now. It's not about, while some of those things are important, it's more about action now and, and getting students involved. So there has to be a balance of it, but we really want students to take ownership of their communities. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. I, just for me, I think that knowing where we're coming from will give um, to another issue which I'll be talking about is implicit bias will give children the perspective of, oh, wow, this is where we came from. This is how we happened. This is how we all, all arrived here. This is not just one person's country. The only person who actually owned it were the, were the Indian American or the Indians. And so we came in and we all came in. So I think in a way it's good to actually um, be practicalize what you do and how you live and how you treat others and understand where people are coming from. But I think that 
uh, knowing the history will also help. I'm not the same set of questions. Oh, Michael. Uh, what are your thoughts about, yeah, go ahead. Be prepared. I've got a lot to say about this, so I'm about to let yeah. it rip. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so I, uh, I was also raised uh, in uh, the Northeast, actually. I was on, on Long Island in a poor area of Long Island. We were fairly uh, culturally diverse. And then in high school at time, moved down to Virginia and you into an, another diverse kind of area, but a very different dynamic from the, from the north to the south once you cross that Mason-Dixon line, essentially. Uh, I do happen to be a history major. <laughs> wow. So help me so out that, here, buddy. This is where I go. This is where I'm going. Um, <laughs> so I think that when we are educated, starting in elementary school, going all the way through uh, where we end in high school, there is a tendency to glorify the foundations that we stand on. We emphasize the Constitution. We emphasize the bravery of the founding fathers from escaping tyranny. We know that there is slavery, but we underplay that in the minds of everybody until it is brought up again in the Civil War era, at which point is it about abolishing slavery, so then it's a good conversation. Once that occurs, there is still so much that gets glossed over, I think, involving Jim Crow, legal segregation, uh, absolute, you know, sharecropping, the aftermath, the antebellum era of the Civil War, where people were systematically separated out. Yes, you were free, but no, you were not equal. And so we kind of gloss over that in a way in favor of talking about World War I and II, and World War II, of course, probably being America's proudest moment because we were all, we were universally the good guys. You know, we go D-Day, and then we hear about landing on the moon, and we talk about the civil rights movement briefly. We talk about 1920s women's suffrage. We talk about then segregation is still there in the Deep South. We talk about allowing black people to enter into the same educational institutions as white people. Uh, we talk about Dr. King, we talk about Malcolm X, we have a very whitewashed view, I have a dream, everybody can get on board with that. And then uh, finally, civil rights passes, uh, you know, maybe culminating and, and continuing on with uh, major milestones, for instance, like women, African-American women having finally the right to vote just in 1965. And that's not that long ago, 1965. Before then, a black woman could not vote. That's, that's, that's less time than my grandmother was alive. You know, I mean, your, your parents remember that, depending on how old they are. Um, and so we whitewash that because at least in kind of a, a white household in a white neighborhood, uh, maybe not my neighborhood per se, because you're reminded if you're in more diverse settings, but if you're in the white house and you're, and I mean like a primarily white family, and you're in a, in a demographic in an area that doesn't have many minorities, the tendency is to say, well, civil rights happened. Everybody is quote unquote legally equal now. So therefore that solved the problem. And then I don't know, like uh, racism wasn't widely discussed in our society, except for these occasional pinpoints in the news. Rodney King was probably the first one that I remember as a kid in, yeah. you know, coming up the riots as a result of him with police brutality, the same 
problem that we have now. Um, and so we need to do, we, we need to face that. I think that we need to show the less romantic version of our history. It is important to show us landing on the moon. That is a proud moment. The, the words of our constitution are important. The Bill of Rights are important, but it's also important to, to continually emphasize the hypocrisy that when it was written, everybody was not in fact equal. Women, minorities, anybody who was not white. Man. So that, that, that permeates through society. And right now, I mean, maybe we could stand for, in our classes, uh, losing a few of the old writers. Maybe we don't need as many Hemingway books. Maybe we need to bring, uh, for example, like a Tennessee Coates into the picture, Between the World and Me. Yeah. Modern writing. Uh, maybe put into the young adult, like elementary schoolers, they read The Giver, they read uh, some of these these very important books to us, don't get me wrong, but maybe add in Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. That's like mm. such an endemic of, and, and that's what I say, like reading about these things, if you're in an all-white uh, area, or, or because basically people tend to clump together. For better or worse, you're born where you're born. You're raised by whomever you're raised with. And the only way to gain perspective is to seek it out and be educated by it. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to change your, your, your mindset, but you have to be open to the empathy. Uh, and that's, that's a hard thing to do, to open yourself up to that, especially if you yeah. think you don't need it. I think everybody needs it, whether they believe they do or not. That's kind of how I feel exactly. about that. Exactly. Thank you, Matt. Um, I'm going to go to Carl shortly, but let me read one more comment sure. here. Um, it's from Nicola. Um, it says, why do you think we see so much silence on race and racism from the white community? Granted, today we see a lot of diverse protesters, but we need more conversation on dismantling the, rap, the warped, I believe, thought process that a good number of cousins, friends, and neighbors may have. Uh, Carl, continue. You can go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in my line of work, uh, strategy and change, one of the key principles of changing anything, whether it's an organization, whether it's a process, whether it's a culture, is confronting the brutal facts, right? Confront the brutal facts. The first step of any change is confront the issue right head on. When you confront the issue and you understand the issue, then you can make decisions that will help to begin to resolve those. That's, that's the fundamental principle. And I, I don't think it's comfortable for many people to really expose those issues and really um, begin to un unpack them so we can better understand or acknowledge the roles that, the role that has been played over time. That, that, that's, that's, that's probably why that's happening. Um, you know, America is, someone said, America uh, is an ideal. It's not, a, it's not really not a land, it's an ideal. It's, a, it's an ideal that every human being uh, uh, is equal and has you know, the pursuit of happiness, life, life, liberty, and peace of happiness. Right? That's the ideal. The reality is where we are right now is a principle. There are issues that right now that we're looking to close between the ideal and, and where we are currently. And over the past couple of years, we seem to be going further and further and further away from that ideal. And what I want to do is try to figure out how we can begin to bridge that gap. Mike, you talk about your education. Here's a question I'll have for you. When I was in Nigeria, going to school in Nigeria, nobody taught me about racism. Nobody taught me about my fellow blacks, black Americans who were taken as slaves from Nigeria and from the West Coast all the way through to the U.S. They didn't teach that in school, right? No. 
even in college, when I went to school in Nigerian college, nobody taught us about that, right? I had to go myself and educate myself about the horrors of slavery and the reason why, you know, slavery happened. I wrote a piece recently, I think I shared it with you about what I call the betrayal of our kinfolk, right? Yeah. The betrayal of we Africans selling our brothers and sisters into slavery for what? For mirrors and for muskets and all that stuff. So there is, there is a culpability across the globe around this, right? The, 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 the fueling the issue of this. And this, this, this kind of thought process has permeated society and we haven't talked about it well enough. We need to yeah. begin to address this. Think about the Holocaust and the Jews. They talk about it. They explain it. There are museums everywhere that talk about what happened. And that's helped to heal the divide and bridge the divide, right, amongst Jewish people and non-Jewish people. The same thing needs to happen. The more we can talk about these things and begin to realize the mistakes and correct them, the better we'll be going forward to form a more perfect union, in my, in my, in my estimation. Thank you, Carl. Um, we're going to be going to the next question. Just remember to hit the share button. We're in our 40th minute. Um, uh, and I'm going to be asking more questions, but let me read a few more comments. Um, so I have one, somebody responding to Nicola. It says it is comfortable for them to, it is, it is uncomfortable for them to face who wants to talk about what they don't want to acknowledge or take responsibility for. And this is addressing the issue of very few white people wanting to speak up as boldly as Matt or Tom is speaking tonight. Um, and whenever these type of things happen, it's just silence. From the other side is silence, none of the hashtag, nothing is going on. It's just like, um, we don't know, maybe they might have done something. Let's wait and see. Um, and it keeps going on. We have another comment here from Kilechi. Kilechi says, in the military, we have avenues for everyone to report or speak to anything that may have been perceived. One second, I can't see this clearly. Uh, that may have been perceived to be an injustice all the way up to an IG complaint. How does one engage peacefully, safely, without feeling like it is maybe a life sacrifice to engage when law enforcement is publicly taking the life of a citizen? And that's very correct. We were in the military, and even though the military is not perfect, as he said, you can complain, and you can complain. If your chain of command does not listen, you can go all the way up to the IG. And most times when you get to the IG, something happens um, to, about that complaint. Um, so let's just uh, tackle that a little bit, talking about um, police and police brutality. So the police is on top of a person, and everybody is watching. And for me, let me just give my response. For me, when that happens, I feel like if somebody jumps in and pushes the officer off, it can't be that one person, because they're liable to turn everything on that person that pushed the police officer off of him, saying, he came to attack me. You understand? So... Um, what do you think holds us back, Tom, from not jumping in in these situations instead of just talking about it and watching the police do what they do? Fear. I, I, it, I think it's fear of, of being the one. You know, when, when you're faced in that moment, um, it's not always easy to make the right decision. Um, you know, act, think about over the last, the week prior, to the George Floyd incident, you know, I'm watching the news every once in a while. And first we have um, the Aubrey, I forget the guys. The, Ahmaud the, Aubrey. Yeah. Ahmaud Aubrey. We had that, that situation, which took forever for, for law enforcement to step in. Um, and then maybe a day or two later, I'm watching, you know, some 
female walker dog in Central Park and uh, accused another black male of threatening her life, even though he was just asking her to leash leash his dog, to leash her dog. Yeah. And it, it, it's just amazing how all, it's not a coincidence that these things happen. You know, nobody's looking to, you know, fictionalize what's going on. These things are happening. And, you know, it, it just, I don't know. It, it, it just, it just came at us in such a short glimpse. And it also just felt like the right moment in our country right now for there to be, for there to be protesting and for there to bring light to it. You know, you never want to see somebody lose their life over it. But I hope, you know, from the history perspective, I hope we can look back to today and this time around that this was a changing point in America. Yeah, thank you. Thank you about that. Yes. So Matt, um, could you address that about the fear? Um, Tom says it's fear that people don't step in to push a police officer off. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's basic fear. The people standing around, do they want to be next? There's other police officers with them. If they step in, are they going to be the ones to get shot? If they're willing to do this to this man, what are they going to do to me? Right. I don't want to risk myself. I have my children with me or whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I also think that the, the inaction of good people causes a lot of harm sometimes. Uh, that's not to blame the bystanders because who knows? I wasn't there. I couldn't say what I would do. I'd probably stand around in shock. Shock does a lot to people too. Um, all I can say is at least somebody actually captured it on video. Not, I don't like that it was sensationalized. I think that it got a lot of clicks and a lot of shares because it's a sensational video. But what I hope is derived from it is that this is not uh, an isolated incident. This is, this is the latest incident of many. How many have not been caught on video? Right. Many. So many. Okay, um, we're gonna read another comment here from um, um, Elaine. Elaine. Um, she says, uh, this gentleman is correct. Um, that's speaking about Matt, on how history is taught in America. I remember in ninth grade, looking in my world history book and it, and it having only one paragraph dedicated to African history. I remember, I remember at that time asking how. Um, so that's, that's a really important issue. I think that um, if anybody's listening to us here, and uh, Tom, Tom, you're a teacher also, and I think at some point you're going to become the uh, Secretary for Education in New Jersey, remember that we need to teach history in a certain way that gives us a clearer picture. So as children, because children come into the world innocent. No child is born racist. But when they come into the world, somebody begins to give them a certain type of information. So if they're going to go to school and get a full picture, it now helps down the line. Um, the next question I want to ask is about implicit bias. Um, so what, Mike, repeat? About implicit bias. Okay, yeah. Okay, or implicit stereotypes. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I got this question from a friend of mine, Jada. And so the question is, and, and if, for anyone who doesn't know what implicit bias is, I know we're all educated, but I'll just explain. It's pretty much attributing a certain type of behavior to a certain group of people, right? 
So you see a black guy, you say, oh, he's African-American. He's obviously lazy. He's African-American. He's obviously stupid. Whatever it is that people do when they see a certain sort of people and say something about them. We can say it about Asians. We can say it about Indians. We can say it about different people. What do you guys think is a good way? I think we've identified one as what we're taught in school in terms of history. But what is a good way for us to break this mold of implicit bias? Uh, Tom. I know well, Carl, I you can go first because... Let Carl, Carl, you can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so back a few years ago, I, when I was uh, working at a certain company, I actually was one of the guys who was who was a teacher for multiculturalism and uh, diversity. And one of the things we were talk, I was teaching, was about implicit bias and why it happens. Um, now, the way to overcome that is by retraining and education, educating yourself, and recognizing your own biases. I'll give you an example, Mike. Even in Nigeria, for example, right. Yoruba Igbo Hausa, Yoruba Hausa. Ah, don't gonna marry you Igbo guy. Don't gonna marry Hausa guy. Or they're like this, like that. That's also implicit bias. It's a yeah. human condition that we all inherit as part of growing up as a child. Now, how do you overcome that? It's by, in my opinion, education, right, and recognizing your biases and looking for ways in which to halt them or correct those biases over and over again until they basically fade away. That's my own object. Now, what did we train people on? It was basically how to recognize your own biases and looking for tools that you can leverage to overcome those biases so that you are, when you make decisions, you're not making them based on those biases that you already have. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Tom, you can go ahead. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll piggyback off of what Carl was saying. I, I mean, I, I love that perspective because the only way to, to kind of free yourself from that is to look from other perspectives. And to take an empathetic approach and put yourself in another person's shoes. And obviously, we're talking about race um, tonight, uh, but it is important as a white man to understand that I don't know what it's like to be a black man in America and try and put myself in that person's shoes, you know, and, and run through scenarios in my head on what that looks like as a black man. And how has that been different for me as a white person? So seeing other perspectives, it has to be taught. It has to be taught. Yep. Yeah, thank you. I'm gonna read a comment before I go to Matt. Um, 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 Neka says, and that's my wife, she says, you know, we're not sensitized that way. Um, okay, so, Jada first made a comment. She says, you lost me with this culpability of Africans. I think that's the call, selling our kinfolk. Let's not adopt the narrative of the oppressor when we are discussing this, this particular issue. The point is well taken, but um, it dilutes the issue of systemic racism in the United States. Then uh, Neka says, you know, we're not sensitized that way. Having school in Europe, it is the same way. Um, and then also, um, Jada says, also, some white people find it difficult to acknowledge their privilege, um, privilege, implicit biases, and selective anger. Um, can we take another one here? Val says, we are, doing, we are all doing all we can to heal from the pains our forefathers suffered during the slave trade. And now we are being hit with a bigger blow called racism. What a double tragedy. All right. So Matt, you can, you can answer the question about implicit bias. Well, it comes from 
I think the, the underlying message is to identify the biases within yourself and confront them. In doing so, you're leaving yourself vulnerable and that's very hard for people to do. That is why uh, white people are so defensive when being called out on that is racist or this or that, even in the process of learning, even the best of us, it feels uncomfortable to be perceived as racist. That's why you see so much uh, tokenism these days. Oh no, don't worry about it. I have black friends. I can't possibly be that way. Um, I'm, I'm in a very diverse environment. I can't possibly be that way. I was born poor. I didn't have the same advantages as all white people. I couldn't possibly, but Regardless, it's, it's acknowledging that white privilege in the first place, which is the hard, it's very hard for some people to do. Because the fact of the matter is, is racism is a system. It's a system, it's not an act. It's, hmm. it, 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 it has many acts that follow with it. But we're the, there's 330 million people in America, approximately. He was like 328, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing. And still somewhere between 65 and 76% of the population is white. We make up the majority. It's, it is what it is. Whereas, you know, black people are 13% of the population. That's, that's according to like the last census that they tried to estimate in 2019. Yeah. So you're privileged by being the majority. So you're automatically thinking it's white people and then everybody else. It's, it's ethnocentric. We don't even consider ourselves white people, right? We just consider ourselves people and then there's a black guy and there's an Asian. So that is built in and that is the sort of thing that needs to be confronted. Why does it have to be us and them? Well, it starts yeah. with your eyes and it starts with your parents. I, I remember it starts with it being taboo to talk about race. Yeah. I remember having, uh, my, my, my mother brought a friend from work home, uh, an older black gentleman. And I think probably as like a, a one-year-old is the first time I could voice seeing a different kind of skin. And I remember making a point to looking at it and being shocked. I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> and my mom, and, and the gentleman was great. He said, don't worry, kid, it, it won't rub off. That's what he, that's what he said. <laughs> But, but my mom was so embarrassed of this, this simple act, which so we're, we're, we're desensitized in this way that it's taboo to mention that somebody is, is black. And then I think later on we get, you know, you know told that, that we can't talk about certain things and it's sensitive. So you have to hide any biases that you do have in fear of being, uh, you know, flagged as racist or otherwise. And maybe some of those sentiments are racist, but we need to be able to talk about them. It's very difficult in this age of social media, too, because if you even well-intended say something properly or improperly or offensive, the whole world's going to catch that, screenshot it, share it over and over again, and then there goes your career and your reputation and this and that. And that's, I think we need to all mature to this new thing that is social media. It's, it's serving in wonderful ways. It's capturing these videos that are being spread around so that we can see that there are these problems. It's also, you know, destroying a lot of people that should, should be destroyed maybe. And then there are some people in the middle who are just 
you know, scared, even if they mean well, to speak up. Uh, yeah. And then so you get a lot of people, I'm, I'm going on a tangent now, but spinning <laughs> and saying, and trying to share these social media uh, posts or reaching out to their black friends and saying, hey, man, I got your back. Like, no, I'm one of the good ones. Don't worry. I'm one of the good ones. If you need me, bro, I got that. But that, it's, that's, that's not really doing anything. That's not activism. That's just, I mean, intentions are good intentions and sharing information are good, but that's not really solving the problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to come back to solving the problem. I have a comment here that's going to allow us to segue to the current leader of the United States of America. Um, uh, Ty asks, how much do you think the person in the White House contributes to the comfort of the bad cops to think they can get away with anything, including murder? Carl. Well, it's very clear. I mean, there, it's been documented and video, I think many times in campaigns that he's had about being tough on uh, yesterday, right? When they start looting, start, start looting, start shooting. I mean, I mean it, so I mean, how does a leader of the free world, in my opinion, um, I can't reconcile the leader, leader of the free world making those kind of statements. It, 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 it's a difficult uh, uh, act for me to understand at all. It, it, it really is difficult. Um, they always say the fish rots from the head, right? It's an old African saying. And, and clearly, in my opinion, if you look at the trajectory over the past couple of years, we're see, seeing an uprising, an uptick in, in racism, in discrimination, and violence, we've seen all these things. And instead of addressing these things and, and looking for the opportunity to heal and to bridge and to bring together, we see, seems to be a person who's trying to divide the populace, us against them, blue against red, uh, the blacks against white, you know, Mexicans, rapists, and et cetera, you know, ban all Muslims. I mean, this is the leader of the free world. What makes this country great is the, the e pluribus unum, right? Out of many one. That's, a well, that's why people like us came here, because we saw the opportunity to try to contribute to the society as one and make things happen. Division will never, in my opinion, make this country great again as, as, he, as he wants to. We have to figure out a way to work together and rid this nation of this bias that we have. It's, 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 outstanding. It's, it's ludicrous what we see coming from the mouth of, of uh, the current occupant, occupant of the White House. It, it really is amazing to see that happen. It reminds me of my days, it, it, even back in, in, in Nigeria with Abacha and Babangida, they just never spoke like this. Even Mobutu never spoke like yeah. this. <laughs> and this is America. This yeah. is America. So this. I'm just hoping and praying that enough people recognize that this is not the ideal that this country was founded upon, the ideals it stands for, whether they been followed or not, and actually make a change in the next couple of months. Because we need to get back to the point where we can start to rebuild the respect and the trust and move us into the right direction as we did before. Never been perfect, but at least closer to that ideal that I talked about earlier on. Yeah. Um, Tom, yeah, same, same question about what, the head. What, what is what the head, the, the president is doing, is it affecting and emboldening people who are white supremacists is it, um, is it making bad cops feel emboldened to, to do the things that they do? 
man, I have so many thoughts on this and, and, um, you know, being a, being a leader of, of a public school system, you know, I've always kind of tap danced on talking politics and things like that. Even, even, um, being in the military, you know, stereotypes, right? If you're white, you're in the military, you're a Republican. You know, if you're in education, you're a Democrat, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all of those stereotypes and all of those labels need to go away because it's not about any of those things. It's, it's about the skills of being a leader and leading people. And if the only words that are coming out of your mouth are attacks and divisiveness, you are, you are demonstrating to everyone else below you that it is okay to do that. If I do that in my household with my wife and my children and my kids emulate what I do, I taught them that. Exactly. I mean, that's, that, that's as plain and as simple as it can be. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Matt, same, same question. Uh, yes, I think that uh, the, the guy from the top sets the tone and the message is, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not clear. It's, it's, it's whatever he wants it to be on the day because he's a... Uh, He's an out, outspoken demagogue. He, he, he does his job by getting rises out of people. Uh, he, he, he's not, in my opinion, a good leader by any stretch of the word. He's a symptom of the problem, in mm. fact. He, he rose to power uh, out of these problems that we are talking about. And we need to, if we cannot combat it at the White House level, combat it at the most grassroots level possible. It makes, it makes it all that more important that we vote at our yearly local election. It That's makes right. it, who go, who's in the sheriff's office? Who's, on, who's a judge? Who's on the school board? All of these things matter more than ever if you can't control what's in that White House. You can control your community. And I think people lose that and think that their vote doesn't count, but it really, really does. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to read a couple of comments here. Um, um, somebody says, Matt, you're, you're getting a lot of fans here. Yeah. He says, somebody says, yeah, Virginia Bowles says, you are so right, Mr. Matt. Thank you. Uh, we have a comment here from... Um, <laughs> Ameza says, Tom for Secretary of Education. Um, <laughs> Uh, somebody else says, absolutely mad. BB says, a major and massive sy- symptom of the problem today. On point, Matt and Thomas. Um, yeah, so um, everyone is agreeing to this. Um, and, and that brings me to my next question. This, uh, this could be a long question. It could be a short question. But if after what has happened, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. I, at the beginning of this presidency, and especially with the things that went on with the DNC and Hillary Clinton, wanted to give Trump a chance. Okay? But at this point, do you guys think that if anyone still supports Trump or goes voting for Trump, that automatically automatically makes them a racist? Carl? No, I don't think so. Uh, um, 
Um, you know, I, you mentioned, you know, it's funny because after the election, I, I thought to myself, I'm sure this guy's really, really smart. And if I were him, I would leverage this opportunity to bring people together and do the things that people really, really want, like healthcare, like education, right? Like uh, building the economy, right? Infrastructure. It's a great opportunity to use all these business skills, right? To do these great things, right? Even this whole riot thing, that this, this whole uh, George Floyd thing that happened, it's an opportunity to turn the wheel and address this issue and bring people together and, and ask for justice. And, but he blew it. He completely blew it. And every time you think, hey, here's an opportunity, dude, for you to leverage all your you know, media savvy to address an issue and use it as an opportunity to bring people together, it's not in his nature. It's not in his nature. So the ultimate question for me is, what do we have to do at, like said, at the local level, at the state level, you know, and at the national level to make the change that we need to make? You know, someone said, you know, if, if, if systemic racism the only way to get rid of systemic racism is to be strategic. And by strategic, I mean, first of all, local elections, um, community policing, you know, training, um, getting people in power that we know have the same mindset that we also want. It has to start from that. Yeah, exactly. totally understood. Uh, Tom, yeah, same, same question. Do you think anybody who votes for Trump in this next election is a racist, going by the things he has said and done up till this point. I, I think that's tough to pigeonhole everybody as a racist if they were to vote for him, because um, I think there's a lot of people that that put their blinders on and 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 live in their own life. And and again, that's 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 part of your responsibility as a citizen is to be somewhat educated about what's going on in the national landscape. But um, you know from from firsthand experience, I mean, I, I know people that, you know, business is good. I go to work, I'm making money, so I'm voting for it. And, mm -hmm. and that's how people think. They're, they, they look at it simplistically. How does it affect me? Now, I, you know, we, we need to have the discussion, like you're saying. We, we need to look at this big picture, you know, and I think a lot of people internalize. How is it affecting me? It's just like um, when we were talking earlier about do you jump in when, at, you know, at that moment to knock the guy off his neck? Well, it, the, your first reaction is, well, how does it affect me? You know, if, if you're the one that's pushing him off that guy's neck, you didn't worry about your personal safety. You thought bigger picture. You yeah. know, you, you, you thought about a man's life and how, you know, he was being affected and you, and you put, you put your life aside and how it's going to affect you. So if I am a, an everyday working man and or woman and, you know, economy has been good for me and it's been during Trump's presidency and I want to put the blinders on and say, you know, I'm, I'm for me, you know, I, I've never made money. We've, we've, we've always been, you know, poor or just, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And now I got work. Why, why would I vote for anyone else? It's logic when you think of it like that, but when you're looking at the big picture, you know, where our country is headed, the direction we're going, you know, then, then you also, you have to take that into account. So it, it depends on the perspective you're looking at, you know? Yeah, totally. I understand. Um, I'm going to read two comments that, that are directed at Matt so he can answer this question and talk about this. Uh, Nicola says, you know what you're talking about, Matt, help us 
share with your cousins and friends. And then we have another comment about that that says, um, yeah, that was, the, that was the only comment. I have a comment here from Elaine. He says, but we are close to 30 years after the acquittal of the cops who beat Rodney King. It is a deep frustration for blacks because there are videos, there is proof, and yet there, is, there still continues to be no justice. Elaine, on our second show on Saturday, it is the role of law and order. We're gonna have a police officer, a law enforcement officer, um, and we're gonna have a criminal defense attorney, and we're going to talk about this issue, so make sure you tune in. Matt, you can go ahead with the uh, question. <laughs> you lost my train of thought. But you, oh, go back, go oh, so back, go back, Chris. Sorry. It's about, it's, oh, did you answer it at first? Is about uh, if you vote for Trump after this. Oh yes, yes, yes. Part, sorry. Yeah, I, I got lost in the comments. Um, I think that many of his voters will be racist. Absolutely, I think that that's by proxy. I, you know, if I'm a racist in this country, and we know that there are plenty of them. Who am I voting for? Okay. So like, like a, a to B. Uh, now, I also agree yeah. that there are some people who, like Tom said, either were not terribly affected by it or saw some sort of positive change from whatever policy was made. Everybody's affected differently and therefore will continue to vote for it. I also think that there are those who are somewhere in between who are afraid of change. I, also, I, I often think that sometimes Donald Trump was a pendulum swinging the other direction from Barack Obama. I think mm -hmm. that the fear was that, oh no, we're losing our whiteness. Like, but that's, that's crazy, as I said, because we still make up the majority. There are some yeah. uh, interesting figures. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is as of 2018 to show that we're not losing our whiteness or our power. We, we should use the strength that we have to be inclusive. The 10 richest Americans are 100% white and make up the seven of the 10 richest people in the world. U.S. Congress is 90% white as of 2018, mind you. Uh, U.S. governors, 96% white. Top military advisors right now, 100% white. President and vice president, 100% white. U.S. House Freedom Caucus, 99% white. U.S. Presidential Cabinet, 91% white. People who decide which TV shows we see, 93% white. People who decide which books we read, 90% white. That refers to education and, and, and all of that. Uh, Full-time college, college professors, 84% white. Teachers, 82% white. Uh, owners of men's professional football teams, 97% white. And that's... That's you know just a few of the major statistics that that show they, they should not fear this change. There's still plenty of foundation. Who cares if it goes to a more diverse setting? I would think that our uh, our differences make us stronger. It's this tapestry of different opinions and thoughts and backgrounds that bring us closer together than anything. So that's a long long meandering question or answer. Hey, Matt, to take it even a step further, though, I mean, with the system that is in place, 
you know, and, and people might disagree on this, but we get two candidates to choose from. You know, yes, you can vote independent. Yes, you can vote for one of the other parties that may be listed. But at the end of the day, people who have more influence than you and I prop certain people up Absolutely. To, to these two candidates that people feel like they have to choose from, you know, and, and in the upcoming election, your choice is going to be between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And if you don't like either of those two guys and you throw your vote at an independent or a green party or whatever other party, it's absolutely wasted right now. You feel like you're wasting your yeah. vote. And, you know, um, in the past, I, I know personally, I've voted on principle for voting for independent candidates. No, it's, it's not going to make a difference in how the election turns out, but that there has to be a better way. And, you know, I don't know what the answer to fixing that systemic problem is, but I don't know. I think that it has to do with us maturing with social media. I think social media has has destroyed the moderate intellectual voice that can weigh both sides and has brought out the worst in the extremes of us. All we hear is the outrage on either side. And the problem is, is they're not having a discussion. They're tweeting at each other, oftentimes into echo chambers where the only response you're going to hear is people that agree with you or vehemently disagree with you. That's not, that's not a discussion. That's just a, a shouting match. And we, we're losing that. And it's very hard to make that person to person. I think that they should have real debates, not, not you know, we, we have beautiful long form podcasts and conversations like we're having right now. We're not interrupted. We, we could say what we like. Uh, we can really try to address how we feel, not, not a three second gotcha soundbite that's going to be yeah. sensationalized. Mm -hmm. Because I think that most people, even if they have a view that you don't agree with, once again, rounding back, start with empathy. Try to understand why it is they feel that way in the first place. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but at least we get there, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's funny too how we've all had to adjust our lifestyles and our jobs and find a way to make it happen via Zoom chats and all of that other stuff. Yet, how many times have we seen politicians, leaders, you know, come to a platform like this and just be open and honest? And like you said, you know, the talking points, the, the visceral, you know, attacks and things like that. Why can't they do this? Yeah. No idea. That's it's right. fear. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm money. Pure money. I'm just going to read you say the wrong thing. You're done. I know. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to read a couple of comments here. We're about to round up for today. But remember, everyone, that on Saturday, we're having the day two of this conversation. Um, I'm going to read a comment here from Kilechi. Um, okay. So we're, we've been given 15 more minutes, 17 more minutes. So that's awesome. So Kelechi says implicit bias is corrected the same way they are created, using narratives that are culturally established. So using a new narrative is what will remove it, I think. And that's very correct. If we highlight whatever the minority is really and say, hey, every group of people has bad people in them, has good people in them, has wonderful people in them, has very intelligent people, not putting all of them in one box, I think that changes um that changes the demographic um 
as we all as we all agree, the guy at the top is painting, he's he's weaponizing a lot of our fault lines to to energize his base and continue to get the support that he gets from this uh, chunk of people, Carl. Mike, I just want to make a, I want to emphasize this point that it's unfortunate that people think that this weaponizing of division ends with a race because let's assume that it, it you know it's successful and a, a group is magic marginalized. The next group that's going to happen is people with brown eyes or blue eyes. Then it's people with blonde hair or, or, or brown hair. And then it's people with black hair. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 an, an evil, uh, uh, what, 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 it, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that just gains momentum and gains, and it's, you basically feed the beast. If you keep dividing and dividing and dividing, people will always find differences. I'll give you an example. Again, going back to, going back to Nigeria. Tribalism is a problem, right, Mike, or not? It's a massive right. problem. You're correct. And, and what color are we all in Nigeria? Tell me. Black. Right. But we speak different languages, we speak different dialects. Even within the same ethnic group, ethnic group, you know, they have different dialects. And there's still some tribalism. Unless you yeah. begin to recognize this issue of this human condition that seeks to divide and correct it with implicit bias training, with being open-hearted, with leadership training, with all those things, and put people in power who recognize that, it's gonna basically self-perpetuate and end up with, in a disaster. That's my opinion. So while people may think, yeah, right now, okay, this guy on the top is, is dividing us and doing all those things, very quickly it's gonna escalate. And it's only gonna get worse until we address it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that people on every side needs to take this seriously because what you notice is that when things like this happen, we protest, we talk about it, and we go right back into whatever it is that we're doing and nobody keeps up, people don't generally keep up the pressure. Take, for example, when Kaepernick decided to sit down, kneel down uh, during the NFL games, um, not many people followed suit and not many people understood um, what, what he was doing. And not, not many people really asked questions. People just made up something that he was disrespecting the flag, he was disrespecting the national anthem, right? And it came to a point where they said, okay, let's boycott the NFL. I did personally, personally do it, right? But the problem is that many people are not, I hope this is a different time. I hope that this is not a time where people are going to forget about what happened and go back to business as usual, especially talking with my white friends, white brothers, white sisters. Everybody needs to be on it. Everybody has to check people at home and say, don't say that, that is not true. The conversation has to start from there for it to build out. So the next question I have is, um, what are your thoughts? Whenever a, an unarmed black person is killed, the first thing that the news, some of the news media outlets go to the police and other people is trying to defame the victim. He was a thief, he sold drugs, and all these things. What do you guys think about that tactic that is? It happens. Just, just know it. Ahmaud Arbery became the guy who went to steal in someone's house. Nonsense. So what do you guys think about that, about how they... Uh, go about it. Carl, you can go first, and then Tom. The media's objective is always about money. It's about clicks, about views, about money, which is the root of part of the problem, right? Think about 
what happened over the past four years. And I, I talked about this, the way some media outlets were fanning the flames and zooming in on whatever he did, because it's about money. It's about clicks. It's about, they did, okay, they may care about some of the social issues, but ultimately, whatever generates the clicks, generates the views, is, is what they're going to look at, because it's all about the bottom line. It's about greed. Greed, 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 in my opinion. Yeah. All right, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the same thing. I mean, it's it's just hard. It, it's hard to wrap my head around it because you know, obviously, money plays a factor into it. Money always plays a factor into it. So, um, you know, news coverage is all about getting ratings. You know, and no matter if you watch CNN, you watch Fox News you watch, you know, an obscure news station, whatever, they're all, they're all looking for ratings. And if they throw it up there and they're getting ratings, they're going to continue to show it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I understood. Matt? Oh, I think ratings and money has a lot to do with it. I, I do think there's clickbait out there these days. I think showing whatever side of the story, even by trying to, uh, even if the news outlet does believe that the, the, person being arrested or shot is in the right, they'll oftentimes report more outlandishly about what they did in order to create more outrage. Outrage is the largest seller right now that we, we have. Right. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, I, think it's, I think it goes deeper than that though. I, I will say that there's a, a system in place that seems to protect the police officer over the citizen. And I, I find that, uh, Ironic, because that's not the job that those people sign up to do when they, at least many of them, don't. They're, they're there to protect and serve, like I said, to the, the citizens. And among your citizens are even those that you are accusing of whatever. And people say, well, I was scared. I didn't know what he was going to do. And many of us in the military understand that sort of fear of not knowing what's happening as you're, as you're going down the road in a convoy or something like that. But it still means that you have to be the one to take the 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 high road every time, regardless of your feeling, because that is the job that you signed up for. Yeah. Uh, if you sign up to do a different kind of job, then that's the job that you signed up for, and you 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 accept the risks involved with that job, and and the duties of that job, and if you and there are plenty of these police officers that I'm sure did what they did because they were afraid and they made a mistake, but they still needed to be prosecuted thusly. And, and it probably didn't happen. Uh, yeah. So we need, to, we need to move better in that direction. It's understanding on all sides. Uh, but, but we can police the police if we do it at the grassroots level. If you, if you, get, your, if you, if you get the correct district attorneys, uh, commissioners, sheriffs, uh, you know, policymakers at your community level can take care of this because it's very difficult to combat a public sector union like the police are. There are unions, yeah. which unions are some of the most protected, uh, you know, they're, they're great because they, they prevent uh, people from being exploited. And at the same time, they're highly protective of their own. So there needs to be an external review. We have checks and balances inside of our government. I won't comment how well they're working right now, but we have them theoretically 
to make sure, and I think they actually still do work because we're still standing. Everything hasn't fallen. We need to make some very important decisions moving forward or it's yeah. gonna get worse. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But yeah. You, you work at the, at the community that you can control so that these things don't happen again. I mean, a lot of it is sensationalism, like the original point. But I think yeah, that there's yeah. still a system that needs addressing that is, that is protecting these repeat bad choices, especially too many times. Can I just yeah. chime in one more time? Yeah, sure. sure. Because, because Matt made me think of something. And, and, you know, from what we've seen over the last few things, like, for example, um, you know, the police officer not being arrested right away um, and having, you know, you almost feel like there's cover up going on when these things happen because it's blatantly obvious that these things happen. And then, um, you know, the, the public pressure forces the decision for it to happen. Then um, on the flip side, I, I, I want to say it was a few days later when uh, a lot of the looting started in Minnesota, um, they arrested one of the CNN reporters right. and, yeah. and they had to release him. And you actually had the governor, I think it was the governor that stood up and said, my fault. He, he took ownership over the situation and said, this should never happen. He didn't blame anybody for it. He said, that should never happen. And, and we need to see more of that. And, uh, you know, it, it reminded me of a book that I read, uh, um, Extreme Ownership from uh, a former military guy. But the, the hardest thing to do is to take ownership over a situation where you directly didn't cause the problem. You know, it, when you're in leadership, you don't do everything that's going on below you. You don't ask for those things to happen. They land on your doorstep. And you can either try and find a way to uh, brush it under the rug, you know, turn a blind eye or address it straight on. And, you know, or you can point the finger too. you can say he acted out of sorts. We don't do this. Or you can just flat out say, I'm in charge. The buck stops with me. I take ownership over it. We got to figure out how to fix it. And, and that's two diametric opposites of what we've seen go on in, in leadership. And, and again, I really do feel like this all comes down to leadership. Um, it has to start somewhere. We want it to start from the top. When you get people at the top making good leadership decisions, then you get the uprising and the, and the swell of the ground, you know, mimicking those, those behaviors. And right now it, it's on the negative. Um, we need to see it yeah. in the other direction. That's right. So I'm going to read a couple of comments. Uh, Elaine says uh, the two-party system is a whole other discussion that can that we can do for hours. But you're right. At the end of the day, we vote for the lesser of two evils. Um, Elaine also says social media also often equal, equals misinformation. Uh, BB says part two discussion on Saturday with the police officers and the criminal defense lawyer. Thumbs up. Um, we also have a comment here from Ayo Conde. Great conversation, guys. Good job. Uh, Tunsky Tunsky says, United will stand and divided will fall. It is about time that white America unites with black, black America for America to be great again. Uh, Nicola says, I voted today. By the way, I will forever vote on whatever is votable from now on. Okay, she's committing to making sure she votes 
uh, for the things that she needs to vote for. Um, we have many comments here, but uh, we can't take all of them. Um, anyway, in rounding off, guys, um, one of the things I'd just like you guys to talk about, especially Tom and Matt, is what you can do on your level where you are to ensure that um, there's more awareness about this and your friends, your family. And I know you can't force anybody to do anything, but I think that you guys are leaders of your families, your leaders uh, in your community. And if you're vocal about something, it kind of sends out certain signals also. So just for yourself, what is it that you can do, Tom, to say, I'm doing my own part here in ensuring that people know that police brutality is wrong and there is no space for racism in America. Honestly, I think, you know, when you called me uh, last week and you yeah. asked me to be on, you know, I, first of all, I was honored to be asked by you, um, you know, and then as, as the days went by leading up to today, you know, I actually, actually felt guilty that I felt like I haven't done enough to partake in what's going on. And I, obviously I felt like being part of this one show, um, you know, is a step in the right direction, but there's, there's always more to be done. Um, whether it's speaking out about it, whether it's, um, you know, as, as a building leader and, and, you know, I have 800 kids in my, in my school, you know, we try and influence them in a positive direction on a daily basis. That's, that's my daily job. And, you know, but you kind of tend to forget about some of the things that don't go on in your day-to-day -day structure. And it's very easy to put the blinders on and not pay attention to, you know, big issues. Um, again, it's just take action is, re is really the answer. You just have to make a decision to take some type of action to, to be a voice and be part of it. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Matt? Uh, yes, it's, it's grounded in action and genuine action to... Action speaks louder than your fancy Instagram post. That's what I have to advise my, my fellow people. Um, <laughs> shit. And actively using critical thinking and the destruction of misinformation, or at least stopping the spreading of it, is so important in this time. And it's very difficult to do, especially with everything designed to get a rise out of you. So critical thinking. Uh, what am I going to do specifically? Uh, my time and my money are important. There are things that you can donate to, freedom funds, the ACLU. Uh, right now, as the protests go on, your local bailout funds. Uh, there are many different organizations. Local black businesses you can go and shop at. Make sure that, it's that you're taking care of your community, and then you'll see that spread and take care of itself. Actively read things that are outside of your perspective, your comfort zone. Uh, make sure that you're reading things from black authors. And, you know, so like I, I mentioned, uh, like Tennessee Coates is Between the World and Me. There's a few books out right now that are excellent that are new books. Real Life by Brandon Taylor about being a, a black student in, in Southern Alabama. Uh, Here for it by R. Eric Smith is a well-known uh, gentleman who, who 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 is an online journalist who who wrote a bunch of essays about his experiences. Uh, the hate you give, I mentioned. 
Um, there's a book that's really hard for white people to get on board with because it immediately starts with the title and it's called White Fragility. And that book is entirely about why it's so hard to interact with us about our implicit biases. Because if anybody tells you they're colorblind, that's a nice sentiment, but it's just not true. Hey, Mike, you're black. I'm a white guy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Acknowledge the differences and see how that works for us in our relationship. It creates a whole new dynamic. There's nothing wrong with us being different. It, in fact, that's where a lot of the beauty of the relationships come from. I love you. I love the time that we, we spent in the military together. We've had many deep conversations. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> boo boo. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, you, so you got to take action. Uh, educate yourself. Constantly open yourself to new experiences. Be willing to take off that turtle shell and be vulnerable and, and, and confront the things in yourself that are ugly. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I don't like how that sounds, they might not necessarily be right, but at least consider what your thoughts would be if they were correct, if they, if they are actually right in calling you out on something. And, and once again, uh, I, I've got to vote every single time for somebody who's going to make changes that I believe in, from my level to the state level, all the way up to the White House. And probably last but not least, and I think we all speak for this, I have many uh, uh, concerns about the cops and stuff. I know Carl spoke before about having an autistic child. My son, he's five, he's also autistic, and I worry about how he's perceived in the world because, mm -hmm. because he can't communicate the same way he doesn't even think about things the same way. So I, and I worry about the one time that he gets angry or upset over something that's as a, when he gets older, that people don't understand that puts him in harm's way. And at the same time, wow. unfortunately in this society, I still think, well, at least he's white. Because, you know, I, I mean that in the, in the sense that uh, these patterns are real. Yeah. Yeah, at least they'll come maybe and in, slower. in that, speaking of children, and I think we, I know Tom's got kids, and Mike, you definitely have kids. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about Carl, but, but what we can do is we can raise vehement anti-racists. That's what we need to do. The racism is always going to be there. It's always going to be there. So thinking that you're going to stamp it out is unrealistic. But what we can do is attack it over and over again. And, and one of the biggest sources of racism in this country is the white and black us versus them in that category. And if we can take that out or at least move past it or mature past it, I want to say mature past it because we're just still not there and, and, and kind of defeat the historic superior white narrative that is existing right now in history i think we'll we'll be on better footing and i think we're getting there i think that sometimes these awful periods need to happen in order to push us in the right direction and that's that's awful i hate the the, the violence i hate the, the lives that are lost as a result but if we keep filming it and if we keep pressing correct information and fighting it at some point the right things will happen or like carl said earlier will will completely be destroyed but i'll tell you but if if we don't come together and solve it i don't necessarily know that i i, I want i'm so proud of this country i think it's the best country in the world 
but we have some issues that we need to solve. And if we can't solve them, I don't want to see that message ruined. I don't want to see us not be the greatest country in the world. Trump said, let's make America great again. I don't know when it wasn't. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's really make it great. Let's, let's finish the job that civil rights started that we, we haven't really finished. We brushed it under the carpet. Anyway, sorry to get so passionate and ramble on there. I know, I know. Carl, any <laughs> last, last words? No, for me, it's, you know, it's just to be a bridge builder. I, that's what I've committed to my life, life to do. That's, that's what I want to do. That's what I'll keep doing is trying to build bridges across demographics, across races, across age groups, across everything that I can do to make a better life, to, to keep bending that arc of justice, right? Uh, arc of morality towards justice. That's, that's my role. I came here as an immigrant with high hopes and high dreams. America's given me a lot of great things. I'm grateful for it. Um, yeah. I'm really grateful for this country. What's given me and my family, I mean, it, you know, best country in the whole world for me. But there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and I'm committed to building those bridges because that's the only way. That's what my religion teaches me. That's what I believe in my core heart. And that's what I intend to do. So follow those teachings and love my neighbor as myself, regardless of what they look like. To be that good Samaritan that picks up the other person on the road and everybody abandons him or her. So that, that's what I'm going to do. And I'll keep doing it. That's awesome. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Tom uh, and, and Matt, for for honoring our invitation. We really do appreciate it. Everyone, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday is going to be the day two of this three-part conversation. Uh, we're going to be having, a, it's, and the theme is the role of law enforcement. Please share the flyers. We're going to send out another flyer, a new flyer with the new guests. Um, and just stay safe, everyone. Let us continue to stay active and keep this at the forefront of our mind. In closing, I want to thank uh, the ABL Afrobeat Live family. I also want to thank our producer for tonight, uh, Taya Kimboni, for doing an amazing job. Um, in closing, I am going to read a poem by Ekene Agabu. Ekene is a speaker. Um, he's a relationship strategist. He's also going to be joining us for the third day three of this uh, conversation next week, Tuesday. And he has a poem, and it's titled Redemption Song. We are not what they say we are. They not of a different race, but of a different mind that suggests superiority. While slavery and colonialism is what was done to us, redemption is what we must do within ourselves. Separating ourselves from the superficial labels of oppression and aligning ourselves with the freedom that truth brings. Truth that is grounded in love and forgiveness, even of those who oppose our redemption. We stand here as a sign to the oppressed and maligned, that the final word is not with the oppressor, but in the redeemer, that the responsibility of mental redemption is not given but taken by those who see themselves in that founding document, that all are created equal, yeah. that all who move to the beat of the master's drum will not dance to the melody, will now dance to the melody of their own song then all will hear the song, then all will sing the song, because you have become that song. Thank you, everyone. Until Saturday, Michael Lubadozier, The Voice. See you on Saturday. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate Thank you, everybody. It's been an honor. You guys can still stay on for a couple seconds. It's, uh, we're going okay. to, we're off the lot of Facebook Live. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. That was awesome. Thank you, That's Tom. Good. Thank you.
All right, we're live. The end is live. So first of all, I want to apologize. I, I was on a screwed up the Facebook. I'm sorry, the YouTube. I couldn't remember my password. And yeah, I was happy <laughs> <to reset> it. <laughs> so I, I am recording this. 